Welcome to episode number 24 of Talking Mopars. On today's show, we're talking Project Car of the Week, high performance parts, listener stories, and I'm going to give you an update on my DART project because my short term plans have changed. So, we're going to talk about my DART and, as usual, have a good time. So, without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. We are back once again, and I got to tell you, I'm really pumped up. I'm really excited. Last week was episode number 23. Episode 23 was my first episode of Direct Connections, the first official episode with guests on the show. And for that episode, I had Chuck and Matt McMurray from Ready Chassis and HemiPages.com on the show to talk about the launch of HemiPages and their other business, Ready Chassis. I had a great time. I thought the interview was fun. Now, granted, I need to work on my interview chops a little bit, but hey, like everything else with this show, I'm winging it, folks. I thought the interview was good. Of course, I was critical of myself. I don't like giving interviews. I like having conversations. So when I have people on this show, I don't really like to be the interview guy. So when I ask questions, they don't feel as organic. I had some questions that I wanted to ask that I didn't even get to. And you know what? They were kind of lame questions anyway. I'm really happy with the way the conversation turned out. I thought it was a great first run. So I have nothing but high hopes and high expectations for the future of talking Mopars, especially direct connections. And to be honest with you, I think that's the direction the show needs to go. I think that conversations with other Mopar enthusiasts are really going to drive this podcast even further. Because let's face it, I mean, you don't want to hear me talk (laughs) <laughs> to you every week by myself, do you? Come on. I thought that having guests on the show, even more than just one, I think that Chuck and Matt, they brought the fire. I think that it brought an interesting dynamic to the show, and I want to continue that dynamic, even if it's just one guest and me. I think it's still going to be fun, and I do have guests that are lining up, and I have people coming to me trying to get on the show. So, The ball is definitely rolling, and I am really excited. I'm more excited than I was before, and I've reached out to a lot of people to see if they'd be interested in coming on the show. I have a whole list of people that I want to bring on the show, so we're going to have a lot of episodes of Direct Connections coming. They're all in the pipeline. I'm working on scheduling right now, but look forward to that because it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to talk to all sorts of people in the Mopar community, so I hope you're looking forward to that as much as I am. And let's get this show on the road. This week's Project Car of the Week was a 1971 Dodge Super B posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page on Saturday, April 18th at 10 a.m. Here is the ad. 1971 Dodge Super B 340 Air Grabber Project, 24,000 Okanagan. 1971 Dodge Super B 340 Automatic Ram Charger Hood and Elastomeric Bumpers. Numbers matching engine but not transmission, buckets, console, tough wheel, tack, 
Dual painted mirrors, power steering, power disc brakes, original fender tag, but no build sheet. Sold new at Columbia Dodge, Vancouver. Needs full ground-up restoration, not running, very rare, and possibly the only 340 car built with N96 and A54. Condition is listed as fair, and title status is listed as clean. Okay, first things first, you're probably thinking $24,000, that's insane for this car. You know, if you're looking at pictures of it, it's a project car. It seems to be pretty complete, but at $24,000, you know, most people are going to go, $24,000, I can get a running and driving driver quality car for that same price. But the question is, can you get a 71 Super B 340 Air Grabber project car for that kind of money? Or are you going to get a run-of-the-mill Roadrunner or, you know, something of that effect? I've seen Rotbox Chargers, 68 to 70s, go for 24000 But one thing that you have to take into consideration is this car was posted in the Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada listings on Craigslist. So if you convert the money into U.S. dollars, you're looking at just over 17000 Now, that sounds like a lot of money. I realize that, but you have to understand what the car is. It is a 71 Super B, which there weren't very many made, and this one does have the Ram Charger hood. It's got the rubber bumpers. It's got a numbers matching engine. It does not have the numbers matching transmission, which is a shame, but it is a bucket seat console car. It's got the tough wheel. Um, I mean, the car needs to be restored. You know, the dash pad is cracked. It's It looks to be B5 blue with the B5 blue interior. It looks to be B5 blue with a blue interior, which is very cool. It's got a black vinyl top. It looks cool. And I would have to do some digging on the numbers, you know, throwing out a claim that it's possibly the only 340 car built with the codes N96 and A54. You know, that's a big claim right there. So you have the air grabber and the elastomeric bumpers. And while I'm thinking about it, I keep saying air grabber, but this is a Dodge, so that would be a Ram Charger. So forgive me if I say air grabber again, okay, purists? I'm sorry. Moving on. I would like to do some digging and figure out, you know, how rare that is. Because I, to be honest, I don't know. I would have to do some research. But it doesn't have a build sheet either, which is kind of a bummer, but it does have the original fender tag. So, you know, there are a couple issues with the car. And if I'm looking at it at 17,000, first of all, I love 71 to 72 B bodies. I think they're really cool. I think this one deserves to be saved, but you know, the price, 24,000 Canadian or 17,000 US dollars, I would like to see it a little bit cheaper. But if I had the money, like I always say, I would probably just fork out the cash just because this car, I would look at it as a long-term investment. That's how I look at these cars. A lot of people just look at the price and they get sticker shock immediately because they're thinking, oh my God, how much money would it cost to restore this thing? How much am I paying for it? And those costs add up. Let's be honest. You know, if you do all the work yourself, you can save a little coin. If you take it to a restoration shop, you know, you could be looking at five figures just in a restoration alone. And I'm not talking just 10 grand. I'm talking, you know, you're getting up there. So would it be worth to be all in on this particular car, let's call it 70 grand. Uh, that's debatable. Me, I, myself, if it's as rare as this guy says, even though it's missing the original build sheet and the numbers matching transmission, I think that in the long term, you know, 20, 
25 years from now, you're probably going to see your money back on this car. And maybe even a little bit more, depending on the rarity. But I like it. I think it's a good car. I think it deserves to be saved. Like I said, these cars, when you get into the special cars, like the Super Bs that have the sought-after options, then you can start justifying higher prices. But when you get a 1968 Dodge Charger that's a 318 car, nothing special, you know, and the guy wants 25 grand and it's a complete rot box, then you can argue and go, hey, you know, it's really not worth that much money. So you could dump a bunch of cash into a 318 Charger, you know, say a 68 318 Charger, and the same amount of money into a 68 RT Charger, and you'd end up pretty much with the same product in the end. But the values of each of those cars would be completely different. So I think the prices vary based on the particular car. Now, in this case, $17,000 for a 71 Super B, you know, with some of these rare options, you know, I'm going to go ahead and fork out that cash. Would I like to get it for $10,000? Yes. Would I like to get it for $5,000? Absolutely. Would I pay the guy $15,000 US dollars cash? Yes. Would I pay him $17,000? Sure. That's my opinion. I will be posting pictures of this car on my social medias, so be on the lookout for the Project Car of the Week post. It's a cool car, and I think it deserves to be saved. That was Project Car of the Week, the 1971 Dodge Super B340 Project Car for 24,000 Canadian dollars. No Mopar left behind. This week's high-performance part belongs to the 1969 Dodge Charger featured in the 2001 horror film The Forsaken. The Forsaken is basically a road movie that has to do with vampires and a vampire hunter and a guy who inadvertently gets sucked into the underbelly world of bloodsuckers. Of course, there's a cute girl involved and a lot of bad bloodsucking vampires. And of course, the vampires are tooling around on the back roads of America in a 1969 Dodge Charger. This thing is what we like to call a ratty Mopar. For starters, it's got one of those really cheap aftermarket steering wheels. It's got those really crummy sheepskin seat covers, those really cheap garbage trashy ones. It's in red primer on some Magnum 500s. It's a trailer park Lamborghini. That's what this Charger is, all right? Now, I won't get into too much of the synopsis of the film, but, you know, if you like vampire movies, you know, it may not be up there with Blade, but it's a pretty good movie. I didn't mind it. I thought it was fun. And anytime a Mopar's in a movie, it makes it entertaining for me. I don't know about you. If you're interested in, you know, kind of those campy vampire movies, then The Forsaken may be right up your alley, especially when the vampires are driving around in a ratty Dodge Charger. And that was High Performance Parts. time once again for listener stories. This first story was sent to me back at the beginning of January. It's from my friend Alexander Dion. Alex, I'm sorry it took so long to get to your story, buddy, but here it is. Finally, it's about time, and I'm glad I got to tell it. So this is Alexander's story. Okay, so it starts when I was 14 or 15. Starts off with a 72 or 73 satellite. My dad found it when looking at other Mopars by the seller for my first car, possibly. I wasn't big on that body style and the flat black and flame paint on it at the time, but when I agreed to go look at it, they had a sale pending already. I was looking on a few sites myself for some cars. I found this 70 Charger 500 for 4500 only needed a fuel pump to run, body was okay, not much rust, but one quarter panel looked like it met a telephone pole and then got filled with Bondo. Then the car was rattle can black. 
Sorry, getting into details. We ended up driving from Florida where I live to Maryland where we picked up the car. I had a 1970 Charger 500. I was probably 15. Okay, I didn't have it. I borrowed the money from my dad and was on a payment plan. I was working for him to pay off the debt, but I also was a stupid 15-year-old. I understood I was learning to be responsible, but I also wanted to take my girlfriend out to dinner and a movie. But I couldn't do that without a real job. And what I was doing working for my dad went towards the car. Anyway, after a good little while, stupid 15-year-old me gave up the car. Told my dad I just wanted out and wanted to go out and have fun. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Sorry, I just really regret doing that. Okay, well, super long story to be short, he took the car back, compensated me for my work or whatever, I don't remember now, and eventually sold the car. After I gave up the car, though, I bought a D100 project with a Slant 6. It was a farm truck, but it was transportation. So I thought. A friend also spotted a D150 for sale, but it needed work. We went to look at it, and I took it home for $500. It didn't run at the time. It was hydro-locked from bad head gaskets. It was a neglected old landscaping truck. My 90 Ram D150. Long story short, brother had 89 D150 work bad computer, but he wanted to do a mild built 360, so I traded for his engine. Did the swap, runs great. This was probably 2006. I've been doing some work on it as needed, but I just got home driving it from work a few hours ago. A lot of memories and sentimental value in that truck. It has never let me down. So many stories in it will need to be separate. Okay, let's move on. Let's go back to high school. I didn't have a job. I was working for my dad around the house. Had five acres and I was taking down old nurseries basically because they were rotted and damaged and I did other work around the place as well. Anyway, I think it was miles per gallon on the truck not being that great, not to mention I smoked the tires every day messing with my friend that had a 350 Chevy 1500. I started looking for something more fuel efficient. I was looking at the Avengers because I liked the way they looked, but the ones I could afford were too far away or too bad a condition. But then I found an 89 Daytona for $800, I think. So we went and looked at it. It was a dealer. Anyway, we worked a deal and I now had an 89 Daytona 2.5 liter normally aspirated automatic base model. I kept the Ram, but took the tags and put them on the Daytona, ran the Daytona for a while, had a lot of fun in it, to be on another story. Next, I got a call or text from a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to buy his Daytona shell. He blew up his transmission again and was done with it. He was hard on the car. He told me I can have the shell for $250, so I took it. It's an 89 T-Top Daytona ES 2.5 liter turbo 5-speed car. This car eventually got an 86 2.2 liter T2 setup and an A555 from a minivan into it. Been a fun, reliable car too. Many passes down the track, but then I blew it up. This car drove me to make a Facebook page dedicated to these cars and to try to document my build and get the interest in these cars back. Okay, so those are my main ones. My other Mopars include my Durango. My dad bought it new in 99, so it's never left the family. My 01 Chrysler Voyager has been in my wife's family since 9,000 miles. Now it has 110. I have a couple Shelby GLHS chargers I plan to restore, a couple Shelby chargers to play with, an 87 Daytona shell I want to do a rear-wheel drive conversion race car with. Got my wife to buy an 88 Dakota. That was before we got married coming up 10 years ago. We still have that truck. Another one is my W150. Fun truck. It only got stuck where bigger trucks have gone. 44s versus 33s. Mine. 318 four-speed stick, regular short bed. Bought from my uncle's wife for $500 running and driving but needed some work. I recently got a great deal on an 05 Sebring convertible. I guess these are the main ones. I've had a few more here and there, but they are mostly parts cars are not really important, but they are all Mopar. Hey Alex, thanks for your story, buddy. It's clear to me that you don't discriminate when it comes to Mopars either. And, you know, we all make mistakes. And I'm sure to this day you regret getting rid of your charger. But, you know, it seems to me like I've never met a Mopar guy who didn't have a Mopar that got away. You know what I mean? So I guess that charger is the one that got away for you. That's okay, though. For those of you listening that are into front-wheel drive Mopars, Alex actually runs a Facebook page called Front-Wheel Drive Mopars and All Other Mopars. It's a great page. I've actually known Alex 
based on the front-wheel drive turbo Mopars, and I didn't even realize he had a 70 Charger 500, so that's pretty cool. And the fact that he got it for 4,500, I mean, you know, people would lose their mind to buy a Charger for 4,500 these days, but, you know, it kind of reminds me of Johnny Mopar and all his cheap Chargers. It's like, where are all these cheap Chargers now? Because <laughs> I sure can't find them, but... Anyways, thanks, Alex, for sending in your story. Sorry it took me so long to get to it, man. But uh, I really I really like the idea of an 87 Daytona turned into a rear-wheel drive race car. So keep me posted on that project. I really want to see what you end up doing with that. And, you know, Alex has a lot of cool Mopars. You know, I don't discriminate when it comes to Mopars. I love the classic muscle cars. I love the 80s turbo cars. I love the trucks. And I like the modern stuff, too. There's something for everybody in the Mopar lineup, so... You know, no matter what you like. If you like the really old vintage stuff, you can build a Mopar hot rod. You can also build a Mopar rat rod. You can build a Mopar muscle car. You can build a Mopar front-wheel drive turbo car. You can build a modern muscle car. You can build trucks. New ones, old ones, everything in between. So, you know, as far as Mopars go, I think that if you're an eclectic person like myself who likes all sorts of different types of cars, I mean, Mopars are it. You know, you want something a little exotic, go get a Viper. You know what I mean? So there's something for everybody. And that's why I love being a Mopar enthusiast. But anyway, thanks, Alex. And for all of you out there that are into front wheel drive Mopars, go check out Alex's page on Facebook. Once again, it's FWD, that's front wheel drive, Mopars and all other Mopars. Thank you, Alex, for sending in your story. Our next listener story was sent in via voicemail from my buddy Dalton Mitchell from Montana. It is about his 69 notchback Barracuda. Here is Dalton's story. Hey, Chris. First off, I just want to say love the show and enjoy listening to it with my son every Monday on the way home from work. I was just calling to tell you my Mopar story. I've always been a Dodge guy, um, but I've always been a truck guy. I've had a couple twin turbo Cummins. I had a, a P-Pop 24 valve with twins that was pretty nasty. Well, last year, I decided I wanted to get my first hot rod. And I looked on Craigslist, and I found a 74 camp about eight hours away just south of Seattle that was right in my price range. Nothing special, just a 318 with the Magnum head, a 727, and a, and a shift kit. Well, me and I talked to the guy, and we get a, a price agreed on, and I go to come look at it. And I'm loading up the trailer, and the guy calls me and says he's got to postpone. Well, he does this to me about three or four times. And mind you, it's an eight-hour drive, so I was taking off work to do this. And finally, I just got fed up with it. I was like, look, man, if you don't want to sell the car, don't sell the car. But don't drag me along with you. Well, I was pretty disheartened. And so I started looking around again. And I, I found the 69 Notchback Barracuda. And the guy was asking about two grand more than I had anticipated spending. Well... I really like the car, um, so I, I emailed the guy, and I was like, hey, I don't want to insult you, but, you know, here's the situation. This is the money I got to spend. Um, I, I, again, I don't want to insult your car, but here's my offer, and, and uh, if not, good luck with the sale. Well, the guy emails me back and says, when can you come get it? And I told him I was in, actually in Indiana at the time. He was in uh, Oregon. And I said, I'm on, I'm visiting family right now. You'll have to wait two weeks or two weeks until I can get back. And he goes, that's not a problem. We'll see you when you get here. So the day I got back, I loaded up the trailer and 
started driving to, to, to Oregon and, uh, seen the car there, fell in love and that's, uh, that's pretty much all she wrote. Now I've, I've had it for over a year now. I, I try to drive it at least a few times a week in the summer. Um, uh, definitely fun car. Anyways, that's my story. Uh, you have a good day. Hey, Dalton, thanks for sending in your story about your Barracuda. Dalton's story just goes to show you that, you know, even if you're working with a certain budget and you find a car that you want that maybe is a little bit more than you have to spend, it's always worth a shot making an offer. You know, the worst they can do is say no. You know, they may throw you a couple insults, but, you know, just ignore that. But for the most part, if you find a car that's $5,000 and you have $3,000 in your pocket, what is the harm in going, hey man, you know, just like what Dalton did. I'm not trying to insult you. I actually have $3,000 cash and I would be willing to buy that car for $3,000 if you're willing to come down and work with me on the price. But if not, I completely understand. Most people will say, oh, you know, sorry man, I'm really looking for $4,000 or something like that. You know, or I'm really looking for five. dollars um, I really can't go much lower than that. You know, most people will be cool about the situation. Now, if you hit up that same person and go, hey, would you take 900 bucks cash? <laughs> that's where, that's when you start creating problems. But Dalton made a lower offer and the guy accepted. And Dalton got a really cool 69 notchback Barracuda out of it. He actually sent me some pictures of the car. So I'm going to share the picture that I have of Dalton's Barracuda on Facebook and Instagram. So you can see what it looks like. Uh, also throw it up on LinkedIn for those of you that follow me on LinkedIn. Dalton also sent me some new specs about the car. So it's a 318 car. It's got a 904 trans. It's got Edelbrock aluminum performer heads, performer intake, a 650 AVS carb flow tech headers, and a comp thumper cam with a TCI 2500 stall converter. So I really like notchback Barracudas. A lot of people like the fastback ones, but the notchback ones, you know, I used to be a diehard fastback guy, but the more notchbacks I see, the more I realize how much I love them. And I really love Dalton's. It's white and it has one of those awesome super stock Barracuda fiberglass hoods. So it's got the big old Hemi hood scoop. I love those hoods. Probably my favorite hood of all time. It looks badass. I love the car. I think it's great. It's sitting on some rally wheels. Check out the picture on my social media. Dalton, thanks for sending in your story, buddy. I can't wait to see what happens with this car, and hopefully someday I'll make it out to Montana and check out that show you were telling me about, buddy. And one more thing, I'm also a fan of Dodge trucks. I used to have an 01 Ram 2500 with the 5.9 24-valve Cummins in it, and that truck is my Mopar that got away, and I'll never let that happen again. So I understand your love of Mopar trucks, especially the diesel trucks, Dalton, but I'm glad to see that you got yourself a little hot rod. I'm really excited to see where you end up going with this project. Thanks for sending in your story. That does it for listener stories this week. If you want to send in your listener story, you can email them to me at chris at talkingmopars.com or you can leave me a voice message at 209-28-MOPAR. And either way, I will share it on the show. If you send in the voicemail, I'll share your voicemail on the show. And if you send in an email, I will do my best at reading your story on the show. That's that. Keep the stories coming in. That was Listener Stories. We've made it to the end of the show, or at least pretty close to the end. But before we go, I wanted to update you guys on my 69 Dodge Dart project car that I have. Um, I'm kind of changing directions with it, and... 
it's mostly so I can get the car on the road sooner. Now, my intention with the car has always been to put a big block in it, which I'm currently gathering parts for. So I have the transmission, and I have the mount kit, the headers, and the engine, which is a 451 stroker based off of a 400 big block, is currently at my friend Norm's machine shop. And you can actually, if you're in Washington or anywhere close by, or you don't mind bringing an engine to a qualified machinist, my friend Norm owns Norm's Automotive and Machine LLC in Snohomish, Washington. He is amazing. He's an awesome guy, and I trust him with my engine. So if you're looking for an engine builder, then look no further than Norm. He has my stamp of approval, and right now I'm just I'm running out of funds. It costs a lot of money to build a stroker big block, in case you didn't know. Um, but I do have all the parts needed to put a small block in my dart basically so the dart was originally a 273 car and when i got it it did not have the engine but it did have a 904 transmission in the trunk which i sold for 50 bucks it was pretty rusty so it needed to be rebuilt because i never thought i was going to go small block with it but it's got the drive line it's got the seven and a quarter in it still and i still have a lot of those parts so here I am thinking I need to get this car going. I need to get a new drive line made for the big block. I have a Dana 60 that I'm going to have narrowed to A-body specs, and I'm going to build that out. But all the money was adding up really quick, and I really want to get this car on the road. There's been points where I've started to lose motivation on it because it seems like I've been you know, in a stalemate. I haven't gotten anything done on it, and it's gotten to the point where I started to walk away from the project. In my mind, I was like, ah, you know, I'll get to it someday. And that's when project cars start to die. That's when you end up, you know, 10 years down the line going, okay, I'm going to sell this thing. And you try to get more money than it's worth. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up on this car just yet. And it's not that far gone as far as the body and stuff goes. It's a solid car. So it's worthy of building. I don't want to sell it. It's going to be hard for me to find another dart in the similar condition for the price that I bought this one for. So I'm not giving up on it. So if you're out there and you're losing motivation on your project or the road just looks never ending, here's my advice to you. I want you to think into the future and I want you to pretend that you did sell the car. And I want you to think 10 years down the line, you know, how much you bought that car originally for, how much you sold it for, and how much they're going for in what would be the current market. You know, most of the time, people that I talk to that sell a Mopar always regret it in the end. So I'm telling you right now, if you're having problems with your project, just step back from it, you know, take a breather and think. You don't always have to be doing the work. Sometimes you need to just step away from the project and come up with a new plan. Even if it's a long-term plan, just so that you have little goals that you can check off your checklist. And then you'll actually see the progress because if you take on a really big project and it needs a lot of work, it's going to seem like a daunting task. But if you plan out a lot of little tasks that will help you achieve your ultimate goal, then as you start knocking those down, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I'm making progress. So my words of wisdom before I get back into the story of my dart, don't give up on your projects just yet. You know, if you're thinking about selling your car, just give it a month or two. Think about it every day. And, you know, make some time to just go out there, look at the car, think about what you're going to do, come up with a plan. And if that plan is always going to be, man, I just, 
I have zero interest in this car, then maybe you should sell it. But give yourself a little bit of time to figure that out first. Maybe don't even look at the car and try not to think about it for two weeks. Just don't even look at it. And then after those two weeks are up, go out there and look at the car again. Revisit the car. That way, maybe you have a different mindset. I know it's really stressful with this virus and all that BS, so maybe you're just under a lot of stress. Just step away from the project. Take a breather and then reassess the situation once life calms down a little bit, okay? Don't go hastily selling your car, throwing it up on Craigslist or offer up right away, all right? Take a breather, especially if it's a car that you've always wanted. If you got a 69 Roadrunner or a 68 Charger or a 71 Barracuda or a 70 Challenger or any of the countless other cool Mopars that there are and you finally got the car but you realize maybe you got in a little bit over your head and you just don't see an end in sight to the project, please step away from the project and take some time to regain your motivation, okay? Don't go selling that car just yet. You'll regret it, I promise you. So that's my advice on that. Back to my dart. To be honest, I'm just at a point right now where I can't wait to drive the damn thing. So what I'm going to do is I've actually been offered a free 318 and 904 from a buddy that I met through the Wedgeheads, which is a local Mopar Facebook group where I've met a lot of cool local Mopar guys, including a guy named Kyle, who has some really cool projects of his own, and I'd actually like to get him on the show to talk about those projects. So I won't mention them now, but Kyle, if you're listening to this, I definitely want to get you on the show. But first, I need to go pick up that 318 and 904, because I'm going to throw those in the dart just to get it going, and I'll work out all the wiring kinks and all that stuff that needs to be done anyway, and that way there's not as much pressure on me to get the big block stuff taken care of and put in the car, because I feel a lot of pressure right now. I'm not making as much money from my little side gigs as I usually do to help fund these Mopar projects because of the COVID-19 stuff, so... I need to start fast-tracking this dart because I want to get it on the road. I feel like if I get behind the wheel and I'm driving the thing, then I'll be even more motivated to get a big block in it, especially if it's got a little 318 and a 904 in it, which, you know, isn't a bad combination. It'll still be fun to drive, but, you know, I've always wanted a big block dart, and that's what this car will be eventually. But for now, I'm going to small block it and just have some fun. I'm not going to win any races with this car. I'm not going to win any shows with this car. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have some fun with this car. That's what I want to do. That's the new goal. So I need to go into my garage. I need to take an inventory of everything that I have and everything that I'm going to need to make this a reality so I can hopefully have this car on the road this summer. So that's the new goal. Now you're updated. Now you're up to speed. And while we're on the subject of projects, I still have to finish the wiring on my truck because I really want to get that thing going too. And I'm just sitting here like I got two projects and, you know, I'm always looking for another one. I don't know why. I'm crazy. But that's that's the plan. Get the dart going, get my truck going, and then go from there. Um, I know some of us got that stimulus check already, so who knows? My wife's already commandeered the stimulus check. She's got it. She's got it under lock and key, so no luck there unless uh, I want a divorce, but... You know, that costs a lot of money too. So you got to weigh your options. You know, you got to, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wife, if you're listening to this, I love you. Um, 
So that's where I'm at with my projects. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm actually more excited with the dart right now because I'm like, I see it on the road a lot sooner than it would have been because there was some things that I was going to have to cut corners on like the heads. I don't have enough money for an aluminum cylinder head package right now. So I was just going to get some factory iron heads and have them machined out a little bit. But now I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I can breathe a little bit and I can wait and get some nice heads and do some other upgrades that I was thinking about doing. So, you know, this isn't necessarily a bad thing because in the end, I'm still going to big block swap the dart. I already have thousands invested into the big block swap. So that's still on the table. That's not going anywhere. But for now, I'm just going to run a little 318 and have some fun. So that is the update on the dart. That does it for this week of Talking Mopars. Check it out, guys. Direct connections are just getting started. We've got more on the way. I'm talking to people right now, trying to get some people scheduled, and it's going to be a busy summer. You're going to hear from a lot of different folks in the Mopar community, and it's going to be a blast. So stay tuned in for that. That does it for us here today on Talking Mopars. For more information about this show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. Please rate and review the show and share the show. Tell your friends about Talking Mopars, especially if they're Mopar enthusiasts, but maybe maybe they're always asking you questions. Maybe they're Chevy or Ford guys, and they really don't know a lot about Mopars, but they're interested. Send them my way. Let them listen to the podcast. And who knows? Maybe we can bring them over to the dark side. <laughs> Also, don't forget to keep sending me your stories. You can reach me at my email, which is chris at talkingmopars.com, or you can leave your story via voice message at my voicemail, which is 209-28-MOPAR. Those are also excellent ways to leave me comments, complaints, suggestions, concerns, and anything else on your mind. So feel free to email me or leave me a voice message. But keep in mind that I may share your email or voicemail on the show. So, watch your P's and Q's. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.